This is Space Time, Series 24, Episode 7, for broadcast on the 18th of January, 2020. Coming up on Space Time, the strange star produced by the merger of two white dwarves, the youngest magnetar ever seen, and whatever happened with those weird US Navy UFO stories. All that and more coming up on Space Time. Welcome to Space Time with Stuart Gary. Astronomers have discovered a strange stellar object produced out of the collision of two white dwarves, the corpses of dead sun-like stars. Collisions between white dwarves would normally trigger a thermonuclear supernova, resulting in the annihilation of both stars. But the stellar merger, reported in the journal Astronomy and Astrophysics, has survived, at least for now. However, it's not produced a massive, bigger white dwarf but rather an unstable strange star expected to only survive for another 10,000 years or so. Stars shine by fusing hydrogen in their core into helium. When stars run out of hydrogen in their core, hydrostatic equilibrium, that's the balancing act between the outwards push of nuclear energy and the inwards pull of gravity, ceases, and gravity wins, causing the star's core to dramatically contract and compress under its enormous gravity. Now, as the star contracts, regions around the stellar core, which still contain hydrogen, end up moving closer to the core and that region where the temperatures and pressures allow hydrogen fusion to take place. And this triggers hydrogen burning in a shell around the core, causing the star's outer layers to dramatically expand and, being further away from the core, the star's photosphere, that is its visible surface, gets cooler and so looks redder. The star, now called a red giant, experiences massive increases in stellar wind production as more and more material flows out of its gaseous envelope. Meanwhile, back at the centre of the star, the increase in temperature and pressure caused by the core contracting eventually triggers what's called helium flash, fusing the core helium into carbon and oxygen. Now, high-mass stars, those much bigger than the Sun, will then progressively fuse heavier and heavier elements, all the way up to nickel and iron. But smaller stars, like our Sun, simply don't contain enough mass to fuse carbon and oxygen into heavier elements, and so the stellar core fusion process ends. The stellar winds being produced by the star causes its outer gaseous envelope to gradually drift away as a spectacular planetary nebula, leaving exposed its super-dense white-hot stellar core as a white dwarf, which will then slowly cool over the eons of time. Astronomers identified the strange star from the White Dwarf merger, which has been catalogued as J005311, while they were studying an unusual nebula named IRAS 005006713, located some 10,000 light-years away in the constellation Cassiopeia. Optical spectra of the central star revealed that it's really hot but hydrogen and helium-free, and it's driving extremely fast stellar winds at record-breaking speeds. Lower-resolution X-ray spectra, using the European Space Agency's XMM-Newton Space Telescope, revealed large oxygen, neon, magnesium, silicon and sulfur enrichment both of the central star itself and the surrounding nebula. The study's lead author, Lydia Oskinova from the University of Potsdam in Germany, says the merged object's emitting unusual X-rays, and it's also much brighter and more massive than a typical white dwarf. 
Oscar Nova and colleagues believe the progenitor stars were probably an oxygen neon and a carbon oxygen white dwarf. The merger produced an object that's more than 1.4 times the mass of the Sun, so that's above the Chandra Sekar limit, which usually applies for white dwarfs. And that should put it into the neutron star category, where electron degeneracy has allowed electrons and protons to crush together, forming neutrons. Now, that hasn't happened yet, but the X-ray analysis has indicated that the merger was associated with an episode of carbon burning and possibly producing a rare Type 1AX white dwarf thermonuclear supernova event. The unique oxygen and neon-dominated composition of this strange star suggests that it's highly unstable and will most likely only last another 10,000 years or so. The authors believe the strange object will then likely end its life in another supernova event, this one involving a final core collapse into a neutron star. This is space-time. Still to come, the youngest magnetar ever seen, and we'll update those strange UFO sightings reported by the US Navy. All that and more still to come on Space Time. Astronomers have discovered a new magnetar, the youngest ever seen. Magnetars are highly magnetic neutron stars. Observations using NASA's Chandra X-ray Space Telescope was also able to confirm that it was spinning, an observation which supports the idea that magnetars are also pulsars, rapidly rotating neutron stars that emit regular pulses of light as they rotate, sort of like cosmic lighthouse beacons. Neutron stars are the densest objects in the universe other than black holes. They're formed out of the core collapse of stars far more massive than the Sun in powerful supernova explosions. What sets magnetars apart from other neutron stars is that they also have the most powerful known magnetic fields in the universe, around a million billion times stronger than that of the Earth's. On March the 12th, 2020, astronomers detected a new magnetar using NASA's Swift Space Telescope. The magnetar was located 21,000 light-years away, close to the galactic plane of the Milky Way. It's only the 31st known magnetar out of a population of 3,000 known neutron stars. After follow-up observations, researchers reporting the Astrophysical Journal Letters determined that this object, catalogued as J1818.0-1607, was just 500 years old, making it the youngest magnetar ever seen. The star's age was determined by its spin rate, the assumption being that it was born rotating much faster. It also spins faster than any previously discovered magnetar, rotating about once every 1.4 seconds. Chandra's observations of the magnetar were obtained less than a month after its discovery by Swift. That gave astronomers their first high-resolution view of this object in X-rays. The Chandra data revealed a point source where the magnetar was located, which is surrounded by a diffuse X-ray emission, likely caused by X-rays reflecting of dust located in its vicinity. Now, some of this diffuse X-ray emission could also have been coming from winds blowing away from the neutron star. Further observations using the Very Large Array Radio Telescope in New Mexico were able to confirm that it was also visible in radio waves. This implies that it also has properties similar to that of a typical rotation-powered pulsar. The study's lead authors, Harsha Bloomer from West Virginia University and Shamar Shafihab from the University of Manitoba, studied how efficiently the magnetar was converting energy from its decreasing rate of spin into X-rays. 
finding that it was actually lower than that typically found for magnetars and likely within the range found for other rotation-powered pulsars. The explosion which created a magnetar this age would be expected to have left behind a detectable debris field. To search for this supernova remnant, the authors looked at the X-rays from Chandra, infrared data from Spitzer, and radio data from the Very Large Array. Based on the Spitzer and Very Large Array data, they did find evidence for a remnant, but it's at a relatively large distance away from the magnetar. And in order to have covered this sort of distance, it means the magnetar would have travelled at speeds far exceeding those for the fastest known neutron stars, even assuming that it's much older than expected, which would have allowed for far more travel time. This is space time. Still to come. Remember those US Navy fighter pilot videos of these tic-tac-shaped UFOs? Well, we'll take a gander to see what's happening with those. And later in the science report, 2020 is tied with 2016 as the hottest year on record. All that and more still to come on Space Time. Back in April last year, the US Department of Defense formally released three Navy videos showing encounters between F-A-18 Super Hornet fighter jets and a series of unexplained aerial phenomena, what most people call UFOs. Now, since then, the story has moved on, but probably not in the way you'd expect. Former US Senate Majority Leader Harry Reid has been particularly vocal about the issue, suggesting Washington has covered up important information about UFOs. Okay, so that's the rantings of just one person. But then last month, the former head of Israeli's defense ministry, Professor Haim Meshed, a former brigadier general in Israeli's military intelligence, made the rather fantastic claim that humans have already made contact with aliens and they've formed the Galactic Federation. Now, again, normally you'd put this down to maybe he was dozing off while watching Star Trek and getting stuck into a little bit of the Shabbat wine. But the thing is, he ran Israel's space program for almost 30 years, and that makes him one of the highest-ranking officials to claim that humans are in contact with aliens. And he and Reid aren't alone. Over the years, numerous very senior officials have publicly stated that UFO evidence was being suppressed. These include US Senator Barry Goldwater, former NATO head and chief of the British Defence Staff, Admiral Lord Hill Norton, former CIA Director, Vice Admiral Roscoe Hillencotter, NASA astronauts Gordon Cooper and Edgar Mitchell, and former Canadian Defence Minister Paul Hellyer. Now, none of these people have provided any evidence to support their claims. If there is more to the story, no one's talking. But there's still no real explanation for what the UFOs seen by those US Navy pilots really were. Although, as I said when we first reported the story back in 2019, my money is still on a new generation of advanced autonomous military drone aircraft. Now, for those who don't remember, the three videos, simply known as Gimbal, Floor 1 and Go Fast, were taken by Raytheon Advanced Targeting Forward-Looking Infrared Pods mounted under the wings of the jets. Hey, this is a one, bro. There's a whole fleet of them. Look on the ASA. My gosh. They're all going against the wind. The wind's 120 knots to the west. Oh, thank you. That's not an LNS though, is it? It's not. It is an LNS, dude. Well, if there's a... Look at that thing! It's rotating. Technical 6-1-10, Roger, Roger. Oh, God! Woohoo! Roger, uh, there's a shooting to...
I took an auto train. Oh, okay. Oh my gosh, dude. The 2004 gimbal footage involved the sighting of an object described by the pilots as some kind of new drone. The second video, known as Fleur 1, was recorded in November 2004. It involved an encounter between a pair of hornets off the USS Nimitz off the coast of San Diego and shows an oblong-shaped object which accelerates out of view from sensors at very high speed. Now, that story actually began earlier with a Ticonderoga-class guided missile cruiser USS Princeton detecting a series of intermittent radar tracks. Now, a few days later, the Princeton reported 5 to 10 similar radar traces to the USS Nimitz, and Nimitz ordered a pair of FA-18s to check it out. The object first appeared dropping from 80,000 feet down to a hover about 50 feet above the ocean, causing the water to appear to boil. The object then rapidly climbed again to 12,000 feet before accelerating away at supersonic speeds. The pilots described this object as bright white and shaped like a tic-tac, about 14 metres long with no wings, no exhaust and no discernible propulsion system. Now, a short time later, the Princeton told the FA-18s that the radar tracks had now been detected 100 kilometres away, but it disappeared long before the Hornets reached the location. And this is where it gets even more interesting, because if the new radar tracks were from the same object, it means this UFO, whatever it was, was travelling at 68,000 kilometres an hour, and this is through the atmosphere. The third video, known as Go Fast, shows an incident that occurred off the east coast of the United States in 2015, involving hornets off the USS Theodore Roosevelt. The UFO was described by the pilot as having no distinct wing, no distinct tail, no distinct exhaust plume, and looking like a sphere encasing a cube. The objects were showing up at 30,000 feet as well as at sea level and could accelerate, slow down, and hit hypersonic speeds with manoeuvres far beyond the physical limits of a human crew. The consensus among the Navy pilots was that these UFOs were some new kind of drones. For its part, the US Navy still insists they have no idea what the UFOs are. So as you can see, not really much has happened to this story since it first went to air. But one of our regular listeners, Noah, was interested in us getting an expert opinion. So we asked the editor of Australian Sky and Telescope magazine, Jonathan Alley, who as well as being well-versed in space sciences, also has an extensive background in aviation. Well, first off, that footage has been around for a while. What happened to bring it back to the attention, I think, was that the US Navy formed a policy on reporting of so-called unidentified aerial vehicles sightings and published it and, and sent it out to the fleet and said, Here, here's, some, here's some protocols to follow if you see anything you don't recognise, uh, because apparently they didn't have those protocols before. The Air, US Air Force did, the Navy didn't. And so this hit the news that, well, it's official, you know, the Navy says there are UFOs. Well, no, it just said that here's, here's a policy too. Because none of the pilots knew, knew how to report it or, you know, there was no official formal standard well, process to go through. and you see something you don't understand at all, and that's certainly what these things will appear to be, then you got to think twice about whether you even want to report it. Uh, you know, well, you, there is a bit of that. Yeah. There's a lot of yeah. that. You know, you, Do you want to keep flying or do you want to be grounded? You're worried <laughs> yeah, about Yeah, and certainly like I, think, I think in earlier days too, uh, like decades and decades and decades ago, that, w- that was probably even more a problem. Uh, you know, seeing things now, you're crazy. You know, we better not, better not give you a plane to fly. In this day and age, it's probably less so. Um, well, what, what's, what's my take on the whole thing? Um, the... Uh, the, my, my feeling is that it's it's that's not extraterrestrial in origin. Um, 
these things appear to be, I would say, terrestrial in origin. It's some sort of high-tech stuff that the Americans are doing or maybe someone else is doing. And, and of course, um, super, super, super secretive stuff is not made known to your typical aircraft carrier fighter pilot. You know, he just does his job or he or she just do their job. They're not privy to the... <laughs> all the top secret stuff that goes on. So if they see something whizzing by, they're not necessarily going to know it's it's from our own folk, some secret base down the road. I think a, a terrestrial explanation is far more likely than an extraterrestrial. The interesting thing about this is that th- there were reports, but I, I can't recall if there actually was any photography or vision of reports of things that they saw just under the surface of the water. They, they, they reported seeing some large object under the surface of the water. Uh, and then they also saw these things which they were calling a Tic Tacs, I think, uh, these, these little tiny, little tiny sort of white dot things zipping along, and they do have footage of those. And I've also read reports that these little t- so-called Tic Tac things, this is not the first time they've been seen or reported. Um, they have been reported as uh, shadowing aircraft carrier fleets uh, in various parts of the world. So um, it's a, sort of not new. So look, the, the fact that it is um, whatever these things are, uh, if, if they're real, they probably are, that they're buzzing around naval manoeuvres suggests to me that it's military technology, um, that that someone's got something, whether it's America or the Russians or whoever, um, that's that's top, top, top super secret, um, and no one knows about it, and um, it can be easily explained away as UFOs, which they often quite like to do. Uh, oh, just just they, they sort of encourage the uh, notion that it's UFOs, just as sort of a smokescreen um, to cover up um, what what they are doing. Well, that's what Project so, Blue Book was all about, wasn't it? Sort of, yeah, yeah. There's been quite a lot of it. Um, so my my feeling is that the that the fact that these things have been reported in various places, not just not just the ones that made the news this year, buzzing around aircraft carriers, doing tests, you know, and doing manoeuvres, suggests to me that someone's got a military interest in what's going on um, and therefore it's likely to be some sort of uh, military um, technology. My feeling is that it would be um, American technology. For me, the measuring stick, of course, was the B-2 Spirit bomber. If you see one of those stealth bombers, it does not look like anything that one would normally think of as a flying machine from planet Earth. It looks pretty way out there. And uh, the same can be said mm. for the SR-71 Blackbird and, and the A-12, which preceded it, which is actually a different plane. A lot of people think they're the same aircraft. They were different. Those things look about as alien as you can get. And in the case of the B-2, we didn't even know they existed for a long time. That's right. Look, and we know that America is working on um, new um, bomber and fighter aircraft, but but there's there's a lot of suspicion and a lot of evidence actually to suggest that they already have new generations of um, of uh, aircraft uh, flying around that they haven't officially announced yet. Let's just not yep. use the term stovepipe, okay? Okay, that's right. Yes, and and um, have blue and all that sort of thing. You raise an interesting point, however, of recognizing things um, and and that they would look futuristic or whatever. There's a, a very clear cut obvious thing here that, that a lot of people don't really appreciate or tend to or try to explain away, and that is if you see something that that's, appears to be flying around in the sky and it's something that you have not seen before, that you don't recognize what it is, then by definition, really, you can't tell how big it is or how far away it is or how fast 
moving mm. because you know if you had if you knew what a B two bomber looks like and you knew how big it is and you knew what it, knew everything about it and you saw one you would be able to judge how far away it is because you know how big it is and you know what it looks like if you see a Boeing seven four seven fly overhead you get at a stab at how far away it is from you and how high and how fast it is going you now roughly uh, because you know what a seven four seven looks like um, and you you can judge how far away it is. But if it's a shape that you have never seen before, you can't tell how far away it is or how fast it's moving and anything unless it goes between you and something else, like it flies between you and a mountain. Then you can say, well, this thing apparently is flying between me and that mountain over there, and I know how high that mountain is, and I know that it's 30 miles away or something, okay? Other than that, if, you, if there's something that you cannot recognize, then you, by definition, cannot know how big it is or how fast it's flying or anything like that unless you have a radar screen in front of you and it's showing up on radar. So um, these Navy pilots with this footage did have not only what they saw with their eyes, but they collected quite a bit of information with their instruments. So that gives them confidence that, you know, it was this distance away and flying at that speed, that kind of thing. But your typical report that you see from people that they see something in the night sky and they say, oh, it was this big or it was moving this fast or it was this far away. Well, no, it probably wasn't because, as I said, unless you can have something to judge it against, like it flew between me and this building or me and that mountain or, or, or between me and the moon, therefore we know it's definitely between us and the moon, um, then, then you, you know you cannot judge how big that thing was or how fast it was moving. You, you simply can't. It's very similar with, with meteors. You know, you, uh, People see a bright meteor that flashes across the sky and it disappears below the horizon. And they think it's landed just on the other side of that hill. Right? It's just over there. Because we ha- someone described it to me as the firework effect. If something appears to move very fast and it's very bright, our brain thinks, oh, that must be close to us. But if it seems to be dim and moving very slowly, you think, oh, that's a long way away. Because we're sort of, sort of accustomed to seeing that with aircraft, you know. You see an aircraft flying over your head about to land at an airport, if, you, if you're somewhere near an airport. And you compare that with a, a plane that's way up high and it's just crawling through the sky. And you can't even hear it. And it's you know, very, very small and very dim. Um, so our brain sort of interprets things like that. So very often you'll see have reports of someone saying, oh, there was a meteor and it's landed just on the other side of that hill we're going to go out and look for it. Whereas in reality, it's probably 200 kilometers away if if anything did actually survive and fall to the ground. It's very, very, very deceptive. It's very easy to be fooled if you're not, if you don't know what you're looking for and you don't know what you're looking at. And I have to say, I think it has been demonstrated uh, quite, quite often uh, that contrary to what you might think, pilots are not necessarily very good observers of things that they haven't seen before. There have been so many instances of pilots reporting things in the sky, uh, and because it's something that's unfamiliar to them, they think, okay, it's very close or it's very far away or this or that. And it turns out it's not. It's completely the opposite of what they thought. There's a famous instance, I think it was, uh, I don't remember all the details, it was a helicopter flying along somewhere in the, um, might have been the Gulf of Mexico or Florida or somewhere, and uh, it was night time, and these pilots uh, report, and they had sort of night vision gear and they reported these these strange bunch of lights seem to be jumping around in the sky and uh, they're all very um, very um you know perplexed by this mm-hmm. but once it was analyzed it turned out these things weren't flying around in the sky they were just a bit disoriented and what they were seeing were the lights of uh, oil rigs actually down on the surface of the water oh right so it it is very 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 easy to be fooled 
if I mean, um, I think I've told the story once before, but I was momentarily perplexed by a bright light that I saw in the sky. But within about 20 seconds or so, I, um, I realised that it, it was a part of a weather balloon that was that had just been released and was going up in the air. But I only knew that because um, um, I was at that time working in aviation and I'd been meteorology trained, and I knew that at six o'clock every morning a weather balloon is released from that particular spot. So when I when I saw this thing, and then I looked, glanced at the clock to see what time it was, so I could write all this down when I got inside because I was driving my car. And I noticed that it was exactly six o'clock. I thought, hmm, that's a bit suspicious. You don't normally see things right on the dot of a, of a particular time. And when I had a closer look, I could see, yeah, it was a weather balloon. So contrary to what you might think, pilots or police officers or other other people like that are not necessarily very good observers of things they haven't seen before. There are some brilliant sightings of uh, weird, unexplained aerial phenomena. To me, the one that's probably the most haunting is the sighting of Aurora. That's the replacement for the SR-71. I'll rephrase that, the alleged replacement for the SR-71 Blackbird. It was seen by people on the ground who were trained observers. It looked like a black triangle. It was being refueled by a KC-135 Stratotanker, and it was being accompanied by a pair of F-111 fighter bombers. And if you didn't know what you were looking at, you would say, what the heck? Or words of that type. And uh, yeah. in real life, this is this was just a, a black ops project in the 1980s and 90s. It never went anywhere. Well, as far as we know, it never went anywhere. UAVs took over instead and everything these days, all um, really strange looking aircraft these days that we don't know about are drones. And uh, it's just the way the world is now. Some of the aircraft up there simply don't look like aircraft. In the case of uh, what the US Navy pilots saw, sorry, what the US Navy aviators saw, they don't like being called pilots. Pilots, I understand, uh, was uh, you know, these tic-tac-shaped objects, which are uh, some new type of drone. Arthur C. Clarke sort of summed it up a long time ago. He said that any sufficiently advanced technology appears to be magic. So yes. you, you could say that you could say that uh, to even even educated people, any sufficiently advanced technology looks like extraterrestrial. Yeah. So if it's something you never have, you have never seen before. Then, um, then by definition, you cannot know what it is. And so far, throughout all of history, everything's had a terrestrial uh, explanation, um, origin. It's better just to stick with uh, that first before jumping to conclusions about extraterrestrial. That's Jonathan Nelly from Australian Sky and Telescope magazine. And don't forget, if you're having trouble getting your copy of Australian Sky and Telescope magazine from your usual retailer because of the current lockdown and travel restrictions, you can always get a print or digital subscription and have the magazine delivered directly to your letterbox or inbox. Subscribing's easy. Just go to skyandtelescope.com.au. That's skyandtelescope.com.au, and you'll never be left in the dark again. This is Space Time. And time now to take a brief look at some of the other stories making news in science this week with a science report. After initially refusing World Health Organization COVID-19 inspectors' entry to its Wuhan virus research facility, China has now come under fresh fire for deliberately scrubbing the controversial laboratory clean of any documents, computer data, or research materials associated with its experiments on the SARS-CoV-2 coronavirus in the lead-up to the COVID-19 pandemic. Beijing's deleted thousands of pages of information spanning more than 300 studies conducted at the Wuhan Institute of Virology. This included research examining how the virus could be passed from animals to humans. Also gone is any reference to studies by Wuhan-based virologist Shi Zengli, who in 2015 created a chimeric bat virus specifically designed to infect humans. 
Other studies, including one looking at the risk of cross-species infection from bats with SARS-like coronaviruses, and another looking at human pathogens carried by bats, which were previously available online by the Chinese government-run National Natural Science Foundation of China, have also suddenly vanished. It's the latest move in what Ian Duncan Smith from the UK Interparliamentary Alliance on China describes as a Chinese cover-up, with Beijing clearly trying to hide the evidence. And it follows last year's orders by Chinese Communist Party officials at the Health and Medical Commission of Hubei Province to force Wuhan virology scientists to withhold information and destroy any remaining samples of their research. More than 2 million people have now died and over 100 million have been infected by the deadly pandemic, which spread globally from its Wuhan epicentre. The European Union's Climate Monitoring Service says 2020 has tied with 2016 as the hottest year on record, keeping Earth on a global warming fast track that could devastate large swathes of humanity. The Copernicus Climate Change Service found that the six years since 2015 were the sixth warmest years ever recorded, and 20 of the last 21 years also showing the same deepening trend. Scientists say last year's record high, some 1.25 degrees Celsius above pre-industrial levels, was all the more alarming because it was the La Nina year, which usually results in cooler-than-normal temperatures. Arctic warming was even more alarming at nearly 7 degrees above mid-19th century levels. Carbon dioxide levels in Earth's atmosphere peaked at 413 parts per million, nearly 50% more than at the start of the 18th century, before fossil fuel burning began loading the skies with greenhouse gases. And it's worth noting that increase has come despite a 7% drop in emissions due to pandemic lockdowns. China and India again topped the list as the world's biggest polluters, with both nations allowed to continue increasing their CO2 output for another decade under the 2015 Paris Climate Accords. Poland is introducing new free speech legislation designed to prevent social media tech oligarchs from silencing people they don't agree with. Under the new laws, it would be illegal for social media companies to arbitrarily remove online posts and block accounts, unless that content specifically breaks Polish law. The move comes in the wake of Twitter, Facebook and Google blocking accounts, denying access to news stories and using algorithms to hide access to websites not supporting their political views during the recent US presidential election. Paleontologists have identified a new carnivorous theropod dinosaur species in Brazil. The two-metre-long predator, named Urethrovenator jacquiensis, dates back to the Triassic period between 233 and 225 million years ago. A report in the Journal of South American Earth Sciences claims the new find represents one of the earliest known theropod dinosaurs, the same family that includes Tyrannosaurus rex, Velociraptor and modern-day birds. It was identified from a fossilised left femur discovered in 2017 at a dig site in Rio Grande do Sul. Well, it seems more and more people are trading in their own smartphones, which has led to a boom in the sale of second-hand devices. Worldwide shipments of smartphones, both officially refurbished and used models, look like hitting 225.4 million units for 2020. That's an increase of 9.2% over the 206.5 million units sold in 2019. And it doesn't end there, with the market expected to continue growing to around 351.6 million units by 2024, and that's a growth rate of 11.2% over five years. 
The news comes as a new study has concluded that it costs Apple 21% more to make an iPhone 12 than what it did to make the previous iPhone 11 model. With all the details on both these stories, we're joined by Alex Harov-Royt from ity.com. Yes, this has come from analyst and research firm CounterPoint, and they say that it costs Apple 21% more to build an iPhone 12 than it does an iPhone 11. Now, you've got to take these sorts of bill of materials studies with a bit of a grain of salt because no one knows what Apple's real costs are. And you've got to also take it into account all of the, the marketing and the research and development and the, you know, the creation of the operating system and all of the other things that combine. It's not just a straight bill of materials. The whole is greater than the sum of its parts. And you also have to look at what the reality is. For example, in 2019, an iPhone iPhone 11 Pro Max, 512 gigabyte, was $2,499 in Australia. Now, that's probably over $1,000 more than the US price because of currency. I was going to say, our American listeners would be shocked. <laughs> yeah, well, we, we had a $1,000 and $2,000 smartphones a lot earlier than they did because of the weakness of the Australian dollar compared to the US dollar. But the iPhone 12 Pro Max, 512 gig, is $2,369. Now, before somebody says, well, hang on, that's because Apple took out the 20-watt charger and the wired headphones. The cost of the 20-watt charger in Australia, which is 2 watts more than last year's 18-watt charger, is $29, and the, the headphones are also $29 to buy separately. So that's a total of $2,427, which is still less than the 2499 we were being charged last year. Creating iPhones is all about the different components, and CounterPoint estimates that the cost of the blended materials for the iPhone 12 with 128 gigabytes of NAND flash comes to about $415, US and uh, that is broken up into the A14 Bionic chip, the audio and ultra-wide band chips, and uh, the LCD screen, 5G-related components. You know, all these different components all add different parts of the cost. The screen, for example, added $23 to switch to an OLED screen from the LCD screen that was in the previous iPhone 11. Going to a 5G chip inside added $34 US to the cost from the previous year. So there's all these little different cost increases. And of course, one way you can pay for that new iPhone is to trade in your old one. Yeah, well, another research analyst firm, this one called IDC, has noted that refurbished smartphones are a genuine alternative today for your next phone. And it's something I've written about as well, because if you have a look at the iPhone 6S, a phone that was released five, six years ago, if you're still able to run iOS 14, the latest version of Apple's operating system. That means the iPhone 7, iPhone 8, iPhone 10, and iPhone 11, they've all come down in price because they're older phones, but they can still run the latest operating system with the latest security updates, even if the newer devices will have better features in terms of cameras and processors and memory. So it's interesting to see that these used and refurbished smartphones, and look, refurbished smartphones are better than new smartphones in a way, because when they're refurbished, they're guaranteed to work. They usually come with a warranty. They're guaranteed not to be stolen. Some of the parts might not be guaranteed to be genuine parts. They might be third-party compatible parts, but they're guaranteed to work. And so when you buy a refurbished device, it's coming with a guarantee that you just don't get when you buy a second-hand device off Gumtree or Facebook Marketplace or eBay or wherever it might be. Uh, it might end up being stolen. And sometimes the organizations that track the IMI numbers when people report their phones are stolen, there can be a lag time. You might buy a phone second-hand that doesn't appear on any list of being stolen. And then a week or two later, it can end up on that list. So when you buy a refurbished phone, you get that guarantee. That's Alex Harov-Royt from ity.com. And that's the show for now. 
Space Time is available every Monday, Wednesday, and Friday through Apple Podcasts, iTunes, Stitcher, Google Podcast, Pocket Casts, Spotify, Acast, Amazon Music, Bytes.com, SoundCloud, YouTube, your favorite podcast download provider, and from SpacetimeWithStuartGary.com. Space Time's also broadcast through the National Science Foundation on Science Zone Radio and on both iHeartRadio and TuneIn Radio. And you can help to support our show by visiting the Spacetime store for a range of promotional merchandising goodies. Or by becoming a Spacetime patron, which gives you access to triple episode commercial-free versions of the show, as well as lots of bonus audio content which doesn't go to air, access to our exclusive Facebook group and other rewards. Just go to spacetimewithstuartgary.com for full details. And if you want more space time, please check out our blog, where you'll find all the stuff we couldn't fit in the show, as well as heaps of images, news stories, loads of videos, and things on the web I find interesting or amusing. Just go to spacetimewithstuartgary.tumblr.com. That's all one word, and that's Tumblr without the E. You can also follow us through at Stuart Gary on Twitter, at Spacetime with Stuart Gary on Instagram, through our Spacetime YouTube channel. And on Facebook, just go to facebook.com forward slash Spacetime with Stuart Gary. And Spacetime is brought to you in collaboration with Australian Sky and Telescope magazine, your window on the universe. You've been listening to Spacetime with Stuart Gary. This has been another quality podcast production from Bytes.com. 